Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. Today we're going to focus on how He is the Messiah for those who are obscure and those who are obedient to Him. And so we're going to begin reading in Matthew chapter 1, verse 13. Then we're going to go ahead and read chapter 2 as well. So if that's too lengthy and you need to sit down, feel free to. But I I don't want to assume familiarity with any of the stories in the Bible uh, so we can get the full thrust of the message today. So beginning in verse 13 of chapter 1, then we'll read right into chapter 2. Zerubbabel begot Abiud, Abiud begot Eliakim, Eliakim begot Azor, Azor begot Zadok, Zadok begot Akim, and Akim begot Eliad, Eliad begot Eleazar, Eleazar begot Mathan, and Mathan begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They came saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, He was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. 
So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star, which they had seen in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and there stay until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they were no more. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. And when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee, And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your providential precision with which you have worked in history. I thank you that you know history from the first to the last and that you dwell in eternity. 
Father, I thank you that you have placed your hand upon our lives and called us to be a part of your kingdom. Father, I, I thank you for fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who have come to know him in a personal way. And, and as we come before your word today, it's our prayer that we would, would hear from you, that you would speak to us from the pages of Scripture. And Father, I also pray today with the psalmist that you would direct our steps by your word and that you would let no iniquity have dominion over us in our lives. So, Father, please guide us into truth. Please speak to us through your word because unless you speak, I have nothing at all to say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On many occasions, as we've journeyed through the genealogy, we found some foreshadowings of Christ, what, what Christ would be like, and many of the people's names in the genealogy point forward to Christ. I want to remind you that the gospel according to Matthew is building a bridge from the Old Testament into the New Testament, a bridge from the Jewish, Jewish nation to their Messiah, so to speak, his desire under the inspiration of God was to show the connection between Christ and the prophecies of the Old Testament. So even in the genealogy, that's reflected. But then when you get into the portion that we read beyond the genealogy today, you see that it doesn't stop there. He continues by God's inspiration to point back to the fulfillment of prophecy in the life and ministry of Jesus as he dwelt here on the earth. And so as we do this uh, journey through the genealogy, I, I hope that uh, we find connections there in our lives where God has worked in similar ways and God has brought us to understand Christ in certain ways. So today I want us to, to look at Christ as the Messiah of those who are obscure and also those who are obedient. So one more time, in conclusion to our series, I want us to read the sermon in a sentence that can be overlaid on the genealogy, and we'll, we'll read that together once more. God loves people and works through them with providential precision beyond the brokenness and failure in their past by pouring out his mercy and grace to exalt his son, Jesus Christ, and to fulfill his eternal plan of redeeming all who believe in him. That's really the gospel in a nutshell, isn't it? God has worked in providential precision in history and in your life and my life to bring us to the point where we are today. And so I want us to notice some things about the final part of the genealogy of Jesus. You may recall when I read just a moment ago, beginning of verse 13 through verse 15, 
those were rather unfamiliar names. Names that you probably didn't call someone this past week. You didn't greet them with that name because those are, are, are rather obscure names. Sometimes when I read a list like that, some of you have said, I don't know how you remember how to pronounce all those. Well, it's easy when nobody else knows how to pronounce them either. And so uh, I may be teaching you how to pronounce them wrong. But the first thing I want us to notice, even in that listing of those unusual names in verses 13 through 15, is that God observes the obscure. We don't know very much at all about most of those names. All we know is that they were in this genealogy, this lineage that led up to the person of Joseph who was married to Mary through whom the Savior was born. We don't know much at all about them. All we know is that somehow they were connected to the story. And their only significance is that they are somehow connected to the story of Jesus. I don't know if you ever feel obscure and unnoticed, but this gives me great hope and encouragement. I hope it does you. These men, although insignificant in the eyes of people, they were important in the eyes of God to be listed in this genealogical understanding of where the heritage of Joseph lay. So think about that. Perhaps you've said, I'm obscure. I'm insignificant. I'm not in the spotlight. How can God use me? Well, this ought to bring you encouragement. He, he observes the obscure. He, he, you're not obscure to him. You're important to him. The scripture says he, he knows us by name. He, he has the hairs of our head numbered. And as my older son would say with me, he has to do subtraction often. But he, he knows us intricately. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And regardless of how well-known we are among other people, we are intimately known to God. So I want to encourage you today as you look at those names, God knows who you are. God knows who you are. This past week, as we did an overview of the Old Testament and our homeschool co-op, uh, I emphasized the fact that the scripture in Genesis and following answers the two basic questions all of us ask. How did I get here and why am I here? How did I get here and why am I here? First, you are created in the image of God by God himself. Why are you here? You are here to bring glory to him. You are, are here to focus on him and to magnify him. And he, he knows who you are. I may have to ask you now, now tell me again what your first name is or, or tell me again where you're from. Those are questions God never has to ask. He, he knows who you are and he knows where you are. You're not here by accident today. You are here under the preaching of the word of God and in the context of praising 
the person of God on purpose, on God's purpose. He knows who you are and he knows where you are and he, he knows where you are geologic, uh, geographically. He knows where you are physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. He knows who you are, he knows where you are and, and he knows not only who you are and where you are, but he knows why you are where you are. He, he knows the journey of your life that's brought you to the point to which you find yourself today. Just like these men were intimately known by God, Matthew was inspired to pin their names in the list, unknown to men, but greatly known by God. So God knows your spiritual condition today. He knows where you stand with him. He knows if you're in his kingdom or still outside of his kingdom, he knows you intimately. So that ought to give us encouragement that God observes the obscure. Then a second thing I want you to notice in the passage we read, God operates through the obedient. God operates through those who are obedient. Tells us in verse 16, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. We don't know a whole lot about Joseph, other than the brief part that we're told here in Matthew's telling of the gospel. You see, each child that is born, there's always two sides to that story, the the father's side and the mother's side. Uh, The telling of the story from Joseph's perspective as the earthly father of Jesus is told in the gospel according to Matthew. In the gospel according to Luke, you have the mother's side of the story and it blends very beautifully here. But we're reminded even in the genealogy that Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus. Although the the lineage comes back to him very strategically stated, Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ, or that term also means Messiah. But one thing we know, more than just physical details of the story, We know something about Joseph's heart before God. We know that he was a man who obeyed God. I love the phrase in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 1. Then Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Now, what was the command that was given to Joseph? Well, we find it earlier in the chapter. 
he goes to sleep pondering the condition of his fiancée Mary now expecting a child. And it says in verse 20, while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now this becomes very crucial in the understanding of Jesus and his earthly life and ministry. The word conceived in verse 20 is literally translated begotten. Now just think about the beginning of chapter one. All of those people were begotten by this person, begotten by this person, begotten by this person. But when it comes to Joseph, he is the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. But then here the emphasis is, don't be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is begotten in her is of the Holy Spirit. Emphasizing the divine, miraculous birth of Jesus. He was not begotten by a human father, but by the heavenly father through the Holy Spirit. He was begotten of God. That's a great truth in our lives, isn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you are a believer, your salvation is resting upon the reality that Jesus is the begotten son of God, the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth, the scripture says. And so how does Joseph tie into all of this if, if he wasn't the earthly father of Jesus, if he, he wasn't in partnership, so to speak, in the birth of Jesus with Mary, what role did he play? Well, he was the earthly parental guardian, so to speak, of Jesus. We know some things about him. He obeyed the commands of God, just as we read in verse 24. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he called his name Jesus. Now, Deanne and I, and I'm being completely honest, have never tried to name one of our grandchildren because as pastor and wife watching other people try to do that, we know it never works. Our first experience with that, we were in Kansas City. We were pastoring some people. They were about to have a child, and everybody was giving them suggestions. They kept saying, those are old-fashioned names. Those are... Those are outdated. We're going to name our child something more contemporary. You know what they named him? Adam. I thought, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not contemporary. That's ancient. But I don't know if, if you've fallen into that trap trying to give people suggestions about names. Uh, but here... Joseph isn't the father of Jesus. 
He doesn't get to name him. He has a name given him by God. He's to call him Jesus. That name of deliverer and savior would be attached to him. And he obeyed the command of God. I don't know of a better statement that could be made about you or me and other than they obeyed God. He did what God told him to do or she did what God told her to do. Uh, that is quite a statement. And so it says here that he arose and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and he did it just like he was commanded to do it. And so one thing we find here is that Joseph was available to God. He was not some random selection. He, he was not uh, just put in a pool and his name was drawn, but God knew something about his heart. And, and you find in Joseph a man who had an obedient heart before God. And when he got direction from God, he obeyed him. He obeyed him and his commands even when it didn't make sense. You see, even religiously, it would have been acceptable for him to have Mary not only separated from him, but put to death. Because there were laws about that. For her to come up expecting a child and it not being his and, and the scandalous thoughts that would go around that in the community. And, and there were guidelines in the Old Testament that, that he could have her put to death. That's why he was so troubled about this. He, he didn't want to do that to her. He was struggling with, is this of God? Is it not? It didn't make any sense to him. And so he's going to put her away quietly where she wouldn't be labeled with shame or even put to death, but in a dream. The angel comes and says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is begotten in her is of the Holy Spirit, and you shall call his name Jesus. And so he obeys, even when it didn't make sense. And he obeyed God even when it didn't meet his standards of comfort, perhaps, when it wasn't comfortable. You see, sometimes we are tempted and sometimes we don't even think about it, but this is our attitude. God, I'll do anything you want me to do as long as I agree with you, as long as it makes sense to me, as long as I can see the end from the beginning, I, I'm good to go, God. And, and as long as it makes sense and I can do it and stay comfortable, then God, I'm good to go. Anywhere you want me to go, do anything you want me to do. Those are just a few requests that I have of you. Well, that, that doesn't ever work, does it? Obedience to God doesn't always make sense. Like uh, one of the most basic ones, love your enemies. That, that makes no sense in, in a carnal mind, but in a spiritual heart, it makes perfect sense because we have been forgiven of such great sin in our lives, who are we to hold an offense against someone else? It doesn't always make sense. It's not always comfortable to obey God, but, but we find here that Joseph was willing to do any and everything that he was demanded to do and commanded to do 
by God, even when it meant leaving his comfort zone and going into Egypt in a strange land. But God operates through the obedient. Here's a couple, when they come to sacrifice at the naming of Jesus publicly and at his circumcision, they offer what was required of the poorest of people. How is Joseph going to provide for his family in a strange culture? Some men were sent to them with that provision, gold, frankincense, myrrh. Isn't that that amazing that when you make yourself available to God, God provides even before you know you have the need? Because God operates through the obedient. So that impresses me about Joseph. He... He's in a rather precarious, vulnerable position. But he obeys the commands of God when it doesn't make sense and when it's not comfortable. Remember later in John chapter 10, 27, Jesus would define his followers in these terms. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Some of us, Perhaps all of us at some point have been guilty of only embracing part of that identity. We have bought into the idea, well, if I come in here, I'm good for the week. But the reality is, he didn't just say, my sheep, hear my voice. He went on to say, and they follow me. Then he talks about how secure we are in the Father's hands in John 10, 28, and 29. But he says the outward reflection of that inner security in the hands of the Father is that we hear his voice and we obey him. So I don't know what your goal might be for your life to be known as that, that well, I'm a, I'm a studious Christian or I'm a prayerful Christian or I'm a faithful Christian. Well, the the ultimate goal should be I'm an obedient follower of Christ. When he commands, I follow. So God observes the obscure. He operates through the obedient, but God always works through his word. That all comes together here in the life of Joseph. God works through his word. Word. God, throughout the Old Testament, had made prophecies concerning the coming of his son. He was not desperately trying to play um, interpersonal chess with people's lives to get these prophecies to come out right and and fretting over it. He he saw the end from the beginning. He he knew how it was going to unfold. He was just giving some previews and some, some promises to the people. And it all had to do with his word, things that he told them about before it came to be. But in Joseph's life, you see in his experience how God works through his word. First of all, if you would look at verses 22 and 
23 of chapter 1. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, and it talks about the virgin birth of Jesus prophesied in Isaiah. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Now, uh, one thing we have to keep in mind, the technological society, he couldn't pull up his Bible app, Joseph couldn't, look at the Old Testament and say, okay, what am I going to do now to fulfill all this? That wasn't it. He was living his life in obedience to God, and God was fulfilling his word in the life of this obedient man. It's as we walk in obedience to God that God fulfills his word in our lives. When, when I'm faithful to him amidst anxiety and I cast all of that care to him, it says that he will give me peace in my heart. He fulfills that word, but I have to walk in obedience to experience the promise. So here it says, all of this was done just like the word of God had said it would be done. If you look down at verses five and six, Herod hears the rumor that there is a king born in the kingdom and he is threatened by that and he calls together the chief priests and the scribes and and when they're brought to him, it says that they said this in verse five, so they said to him, this king is born in Bethlehem of Judea for thus it is written by the prophet. So here's the, the big picture. This is being done here. He's working in Mary's life and her relationship with Joseph. He's fulfilling the big picture of prophecy, him being born in Bethlehem. But wait a minute, there were statements not just about Bethlehem, but about Egypt and about him being a Nazarene. Where is he really going to be from? Well, it doesn't make sense till you read the story, does it? For instance, if you move on down and you look at chapter 2, 16 through 18, I mean 2, 15, Joseph arises and does what the angel tells him to do and they, they go to Egypt and it says in verse 15 that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, out of Egypt I have called my son. So yes, he was born in Bethlehem. Yes, he's coming out of Egypt. It all makes perfect sense. It, it all wraps around the word of God. Now when, when our oldest son was born in misery, I mean in Missouri, in Kansas City, I couldn't say that day he is going to move from here to New Mexico to Crockett, Texas, and then he's going to go to seminary and, and college in Texas, but then he's going to live in Louisiana, and out of Louisiana, my son will come to visit me. I didn't know all that. Perhaps even if you knew all the moves you were going to make, it would have been so, such a, source of anxiety in your life to wonder how this is going to be. But, but God knew exactly how this was going to play out. And, and it involved not just people that were open and receptive to him that knew him, people that were strangers to him. P- 
People that thought they were the most powerful even fell into the fulfillment of prophecy for, for then Herod decides to perform genocide and, and kill the young male children. And it, it says in verse 17, then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet. God saw that coming. God knows the good and the bad that we'll face. God's word addresses all of that in our lives. He's never caught off guard. He's never surprised. It, it's all his working in line with his word. Then if you look at verses 22 and 23, he was warned by the angel in a dream to go back a different route. It says in verse 23, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Well, it makes perfect sense, yes. Was he born in Bethlehem? Yes. Was he from Nazareth? Yes. Did he come out of Egypt? Yes. Had all that work? It worked all in keeping with the prophecies of the Old Testament because God works through his word. His word is the way by which he has communicated to us. It is the ultimate revelation of Jesus Christ himself that is recorded in this book so that we might fuller have a more full understanding of who God is and how he works in human events and human families to bring about his will. The work of God flows through the word of God. So if you rewind through the genealogy and you look at all the ways God worked in families and he brought things together and relationships came together and children were born, all of that was a part of his plan to bring about the coming of his son Jesus onto the stage of human history in a way that no one could deny that he is the son of God. And it is safe to say, looking at how God works in families and relationships, no child is an accident. They are created in the image of God in his heart even before conception. But the work of God flows through his word. We, we see that most graphically when we study the prophecies of the Old Testament pointing to Christ. So the question would be not, do you know the word of God? I, I hope you're growing that. I'm attempting to grow in that. But our ultimate goal is not just to know the, the word of God. We need to know the God of the word. Do you know him? Are you reading his word? Do you do you trust him to keep his promises? And how are you responding to his word? Are you just reading or hearing or are you walking in that and trusting him? Here's how to bring great blessing into your life. Align your life with the word of God. If your life is not aligned with the word of God and you're living in a disobedience to his word, and you're out here somewhere saying, God, bless me, bless me, bless me. Good luck. That's not going to work. But if you bring your life in line with God's word, his blessing will follow you. His blessing will be poured out on you because you're living in daily obedience to God. And so as Joseph obeyed him, as he walked with him, as he fulfilled his word in, in 
Uh, Joseph, did I say David? Joseph's life, what an amazing picture this is. So how are you responding to the word of God? Because God works through his word. And if you're not plugged into the word, you've unplugged from God's way and means of speaking to your heart, shaping your life and guiding you. To close this book is to hang up on God. He works through his word. That's why James 1.22 says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Something we have to remember. God will never guide you contrary to his word. For instance, with Joseph, he might say, you know, on second thought, Egypt might not be the best place to go. Why don't you head to this place? No, he doesn't do that. I've had people come into my office and through the years of 36 years of ministry and tell me some of the craziest things that God had told them. And I've had to say, some of you said, you don't believe me, do you? And I said, no, I don't. Why don't you believe me? You think I'm crazy? Well, we're not going to discuss that. I think what you're saying doesn't line up with God's word. And God never leads anyone contrary to his word. So when we hear those phrases, that it might be fulfilled, that which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets or through anyone who wrote scripture, that it might be fulfilled. That's his way of working is through his word. So I've, I've had people tell me, you know, God's told me to go and do this. I really believe it was the Holy Spirit. And I'll say, well, I, you know, I believe half of that. I think it was the Spirit. I don't think it was the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit inspired the word of God. He illumines the word of God. He works in tandem with the word of God. He never works contrary to the word of God. And so our relationship with the word of God is a reflection of our relationship with the God of the word. Because the work of God flows through the word of God and ultimately it centers on the son of God. You see, the only reason that Joseph experienced the providential protection in his life that he did It was his relationship that he had with the very son of God. He was providing, he was protecting Jesus as an earthly father, but above and beyond that, the heavenly father was protecting him in that process. The only way you can live under the blessing and the providential precision and provision of God in your life is to be connected to his son. All the promises in this book that are general promises in the New Testament are given to those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. Here was a man living on the other side of the cross, parenting as an earthly father, the son of God. He was obeying God in the Old Testament truths that he knew, he was fulfilling that in his life. 
He was operating in faith and trust in God, which is the way anyone is saved by putting their faith and trust in God. We have come to understand that most precisely in the person of Jesus Christ. So I ask you today, what kind of relationship do you have with Jesus? The word of God always exalts and lifts up the son of God. The spirit of God always magnifies the son of God because God works through his word. So how do you apply a message like this? Look at the level of obedience in your life. I mean, I think it's good ever so often for all of us to look at a scale of obedience on 1 to 10. Where would I be in my level of obedience to God? Am I, am I obeying him even in those tough truths that are hard to apply in my life? I find greater challenges the older I get to, to live out the truth. There, there's more truth to be applied in our lives. Where's your level of obedience? Would you today say to God, I want to pick up my level of obedience. I want to walk with you in a better way, not to earn my salvation, but to express who you are in my life. Or perhaps you've unplugged from the word of God. You might say, well, there's a lot of the Bible I don't understand. Well, the part I don't understand doesn't bother me. The part that I do understand is what really gets to me. Just spend time in his word. God faithfully speaks through his word. Would you commit a daily time just to open the pages of scripture, maybe begin with a psalm of the day and, and begin to spend time saturating your mind with the word of God that you might get better acquainted and ultimately intimately acquainted with the God of the word. We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www.firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.